And now, it's time for the show, This Old Dungeon. Good evening, Dungeoneers. We've got another hot one-shot episode of This Old Dungeon. I'm sitting down with the man. You folks know him. This is a guy whose entrance into a room is always preceded by a Hollywood clapperboard. John Hambone McGuire, how are you doing? Is that, did I get that about like well, you something you would have done? Listen, that's one of the best intros I've ever received, and thank <laughs> you for putting me over at the start of the show. I appreciate it. Oh man, I love listening to you guys. It's it's a it's an absolute delight to have you on the night. Thanks, um, man. Man, we got a lot to talk about, so I'm just going to dive right in. Yeah, absolutely. John, uh, tell us about how you got into the hobby, your early experiences in gaming, and, and what what got you to where you are here today. Yeah, man. So, you know, for those who may not know, I'm the co-host of the Vintage RPG podcast with Stu Horvath, who is Vintage RPG. And Stu and I have known each other for, oh God, over 20 years at this wow. point. Uh, the actual first time we met each other was in passing at the record store that we both worked at. Like he worked the one shift, I worked the other, and we kind of just <laughs> passed each other on the street. But we had a lot of mutual friends. And, you know, when I was 25, and I'm 44 now, I know I look I'm 28. Thank you for noticing. But uh, they're like, we well, know. Hair, man, you, 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 you got one over on me. Listen, I, I will tell you, I will never cut it short. I will never shave it off out of respect for my friends who have uh, it either receding or fully gone. But, uh, you know, him, him and our mutual friends were like, you know, we're going to start playing D&D again. We haven't, we haven't played in like a few years. So we started playing D&D. We started at 3-5. And I fell in love. I immediately, the minute I got to that table, um, I didn't understand heads or tails what the heck was going on in that uh, that player's handbook. And I, I, it was a lot of hand-holding at first for me. But, man, I, I fell in love the minute I got to that table. And, and this is like when 3.5 was, was the new hot, like when it was coming out? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I think it had been out a little little bit before I got into it. You know, to be quite honest with you, I had a long weekend. It lasted about two decades. So time <laughs> and places to me, they don't always line up. But, I, you know, I remember the first time we played was uh, in my dining room. And, you know, I, I put out a, I put out a spread. I put out a nice spread for everybody, you know, like and we had a we had a blast. We had a great time together. And that was it. And then from there, like, you know, I played D&D for years with different groups, uh, finally started dungeon mastering. So, you know, of course, like not really understanding how like it works. Like I, I thought like dungeon mastering was like too far out of my <laughs> out of out of my realm. But uh, but yeah, you know, then I ended up becoming like the the permanent dungeon master for almost every group that I've played. And like it's been rare that I've been on uh, the player side of the screen for, for a good number of years now. And that is uh, a, a heavy badge of honor, isn't it? You know, you're like, man, I love running games, but oh guys, come on. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and it's tough too, because you know, you know, you've been in, in games for a long time. So, you know, like it's hard to kind of go back to the other side of the fence where like, mm -hmm. you know, you're, you're, you're trying not to play the game as a dungeon master. You know, yeah, yeah. in whatever game it is, whether you're playing D&D, Call of Cthulhu, you know, Merkborg, anything you're playing, like, you know, whatever RPG it is, if you're the one that's been running it for so long, it's hard to kind of go back to that, you know, like, you know, suddenly, suddenly, like it's I liken it to, you know. You know, me trying to teach, you know, like my, my dad, when I when I was a kid, like, you know, trying to teach me how to do something that like he's watching me do wrong. And I'm like, <laughs> that's. 
I'm trying to, I'm trying to fix this myself. Let me, let me change the tire, you know, but you know, it's, it's, it's been a blast. And then, uh, she started doing vintage RPG. Um, at the same time I started getting into podcasting. I've been, I've been podcasting now for six, seven years. Um, at oh. one point I started building my own, like not so much podcast network, but like a stable of shows that I was producing and either an on-air talent for or working behind the scenes on. Um, and, you know, uh, it got to a point where I had maybe four shows running at the same time. Man, but the real editing. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, I can't. <laughs> I, I get I get twitchy if I see like Logic Pro now and I got to cut some. <laughs> uh, you know, thankfully to all our wonderful patrons over on Patreon.com for Vintage RPG, uh, I pay an editor. I, that's that's what, what I do with the money I pay with pay an editor to keep the show coming out. But, um, you know, I was looking, looking to, to looking to kind of like expand and looking to kind of put some new ideas out there. And like, yeah, I was, you know, hang out, hang out with Stu all the time. So I was like, well, you know, you have this Instagram. I was like, what if we did a show? And I was like, I'll be the first person to tell you. And if you've listened to the podcast, I know nothing about the history of RPGs. Like I, I know, I know a lot <laughs> now, but at the time I'm like, I am a, I'm a blank canvas to paint me like one of your French girls. See, I always wondered about that. I always wondered if this was like a like an Abbott Costello sort of thing going on, where you were just kind of playing, you know, the 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 guy along for the ride sort of thing, just as that dynamic. But but so that you really do feel like he's, you know, it's you're the guy that's kind of learning from his dialogue sort of thing. That that's not a a thing you put on then. No, no, no. I'm an idiot. Like, <laughs> I didn't know anything. Like, you know, I mean, you know, obviously, like, I knew a lot about Dungeons and Dragons because I've been playing that for so long. But, um, you know, he, he's extremely knowledgeable and very thorough in all of his research, no matter what he's writing about. Uh, and he always has been, you know. Uh, so for me, it was a matter of like, he is very much the straight man in any situation. And I'm, <laughs> you know, I'm the comedic, you know, sidekick so I, I knew that we could bring that out of each other like I could kind of like bring some stuff out of him and get him to open up more about this hobby and I could have fun just you know shooting the breeze about it and we've gone on five years of that yeah, it works well man because like you know as an audience listener you know I, it's kind of like you're you're my my vessel to kind of interact with this podcast then right so like you know he's explaining things and you're asking the questions that I would want to know because you know I'm as clueless as you know the next guy on some of this yeah uh, history of stuff that's that's awesome yeah it's I mean, a great dynamic thank you man and i've learned a lot and, I, and and it's it's actually made me love the hobby even more and you know my what i bring to it is you know I, I bring the enthusiastic guy who like wants to know more about it and who's genuinely excited to learn about it and also like i i try to maybe turn the dialogue a little bit and, and turn the idea of what it is that we're talking about. Because, you know, I, I often relate a lot to different kinds of pop culture, being in bands, being a creator, being an artist and showing that, you know, whether you are in the music business, whether you're an actor, whether you are, you know, writing RPGs, you're doing actual, it's all this, it's all the entertainment. Oh. It's all, there's a, the string that goes through all the pearls is <laughs> it's, it's, it's entertaining. You're, you're working on, bringing joy to people and also helping bring them out of their comfort zones and bring them into a world where they can kind of, you know, let themselves run free a little bit. Nice. Favorite games. So my favorite game, I mean, it'll always be Dungeons and Dragons. That'll always be my A number one. Um, 
my first love, true love, you know, <laughs> one that got away. Um, I love politician D and D. Some folks will want to know. <laughs> so uh, honestly, uh, if I had my druthers, I would play nothing but first edition. First. Yeah, I love first edition Dungeons and Dragons. I played every edition. I mean, we kept hopping around. Like we did three five. Three five was kind of like, you know, ten pounds of leaves in a five pound bag. Uh, <laughs> or I don't know how blue we can work here. So yeah, these analogies, man. Yeah. Um, and then you know, then like fourth came out, and we're like, this is this is it's too much like miniature movements. So we went back to first. And then we landed on second. So Stu, the campaign I played in with Stu, we played for 12 years and we finished up and the majority of it ended up being the second edition. And we finished the actual 12 year campaign at his bachelor party oh, at wow. a cabin in the Poconos. It was amazing. <laughs> you know, you, you couldn't, you couldn't write it better, but uh, I love Call of Cthulhu. Uh, I love horror. Horror is like one of my favorite things in the world. So like, I, I really, I try to lean into stuff like Cthulhu. Um, but, you know, for me, uh, and I'll be really honest with you, like, it's not so much the game systems that are my favorite as the creators. And, you know, uh, I'm very close friends with Levi Combs, Plan X Games. Um, and I, I really love the kind of things that he was bringing to the hobby and the kind of the kind of style and aesthetic that he mm. was putting into his games. Um, you know, it really kind of expanded the idea of what like D and D style play could be. And really, you know, gave you the ability to not feel so pigeonholed into what daddy Hasbro has in mind for <laughs> what, you know, even fifth edition yeah. uh, dungeons and dragons um, could be, uh, you know, things like, um, you know, what, what Joey's doing. And, you know, the weirdo public access, like I, I saw this stuff and like I get energized by it. And that's the kind of things that I love. Um, oh, what's the, what's the, the bear in the hat game? What's it called? Honey heist, like, like little oh, things. Yeah. Like honey, yeah. Honey heist. Like it's, it's for me, the creators, it's for me, like the, the, the spirit of it. Like, you know, I, you know, I talk about music a lot. I came up playing punk rock. I came up, you know, in the music scene and it wasn't like so much like, you know, what's your favorite like song it's like no man I, i'm really gravitating towards these artists who are doing the actual creating of the process uh adam bass world champ game co is one of my favorites too uh banana chan makes fantastic stuff uh it it, it really is a matter of you know you see you see something you just like imprint on it you want to know more inspiration or whatever that's in yeah, something different. yeah uh, and i love dungeon crawl classics too so mainly what i've been playing for the last year we finally went back to 5e because we we needed to change up a little bit but for a year and a half we played nothing but dungeon crawl classics um and that's that's kind of aesthetic and the energy i like i like that kind of like chaos and <laughs> you know we might not all make it out of here and it's okay yeah that's what we're looking forward to is how it ends and, and who who gets to walk out and who doesn't and yeah. yeah yeah fantastic um so we, we talked about, you know, the podcast and how it, it got started. Um, at what point do you start saying, you know, I, I'm ready to become a, a content creator as far as, you know, systems and games go? So it's interesting because I, I've been trying to write like my whole, the whole time I've been a musician, I've been playing in bands since I was 15, 
And, you know, writing songs, writing music, albums, all that stuff. But I've always I've always wanted to write like a book. And I've always it's been my dream to be a writer. Uh, But it would always get kind of sidetracked by being a musician. And then like I would I would would get in front of the computer, the word processor at the time, then the computer. And then I'd be like looking at it, the screen would be blank. And I'm like, you know, the the old like blue eyed Cyclops. Yeah, yeah, it's like, what is going on? (laughs) And, you know, you you always heard those movies like the guys like, where are you going? He's like, I'm going to go off and write the great next. I'm going to go off and write the great American novel. And I'm like, when the hell is the great American novel? Anyway, (laughs) Like it just nothing made sense to me. And then you know, it got to a point where like, I, I wasn't even writing songs anymore because I, I didn't want to write anything personal. Like it just, I felt like I had nothing to say. So like there was years I didn't write that thing. And then, you know, I'll, I'll tell you, uh, it's a sad story, but it's, it's a, it's a good story. And I, I've told this before, but like um, on my grandmother's deathbed, my grandmother was my number one special lady. And uh, I was her favorite, just, you know, my, my <laughs> uncles, they don't even try to pretend to their children because they all know, they all know I was a guy, but on, on her deathbed, I go to see her. And this is like the, the, the saddest, most horrible moment in my life. And she looks at me and she says, you have to write. And I was like, come again. She's like, you're supposed to be writing, John. She's like, that's where your future is. You got to write. And I'm like, <laughs> okay. She like, promised me you're going to write. And I'm like, uh, okay. <laughs> like, I can't say no. Yeah. What a but, uh, moment. Holy cow. Yeah, but then I, you know, I didn't do it for a year. It just, it just didn't happen. I wasn't there. But it's, it's always been in the back of my head. So like, pandemic happens, and I'm running games for people. I'm running games uh, for lots of different people. Like, you know, the beauty of being able to, to be on Discord and to be on Zoom and to be, to be mm-hmm. here is that when we couldn't be together, we still got to get together. Yeah. And so, like, I kind of on my own personal Discord, I kind of ran like a like a little uh, island of misfit toys where I would just on social media be like, hey, who wants to play? Or like, if you know someone who wants to play, I'm running games almost every night. Just, we're going to try all different systems. I, I ran chill. I actually ran chill. Like I ran a lot of different stuff. I was like, just come play. And it was my way of trying to give a little positivity and goodness back into the world when like everything sucked. And it was terrible. Like, you know, I know that years from now, we're going to be sitting around going, oh, wow, that was some shit. <laughs> <laughs> we went through something. But, you know, I, I was bringing people in. And, you know, one of the things I noticed was this. As much as I love Dungeons and Dragons with the five or thousand burning suns, it's kind of a terrible game to introduce first time players to, you know, because even if you're like, oh, it's simple, you, you got you got to roll this dice and you roll this dice and you roll this dice and like you have six stats and you have to do this and this and you have to add this and that and like, you know, well, it, it's daunting. And yeah. so, you know, I ran a lot of people through fifth edition d and I ran people through Cthulhu, we did chill, we did a bunch of other systems. But the common denominator was people who've played before picked up whatever, you could pick up whatever. You play one RPG, you, you've played them all. You can pick up whatever. People who didn't play they gave it their best and they eventually got it. But like, I felt like they would have had more fun and been more relaxed if they were just able to play a game, you know? So accessibility of the, the system or what have you. Yeah. And so like, you know, at the same time, I live in a, a family building. I live in a building with my best friends and their daughter, who's my goddaughter. Uh, George is my best friend in the entire world. And he's my partner in three, two, one action. He's the co-writer on everything we do. Um, 
his family lives in this building. It's, it's three different levels and I'm on the bottom floor. So I would, you know, these are the people in my bubble. I would see my goddaughter every day, see my best friend every day. And she's five now, but at the time, at the start of the pandemic, like all she's watching is like Sesame Street and like educational TV programs and this and that. And she's learned her ABCs and her one, two, threes. And I was really inspired by that um, because, you know, it, to me, the simplicity of the things that you learn when you're a child, it kind of stays with you through your entire life. So when I started doing three, two, one action, I was by myself and I had start and stopped writing for so many times over the years. Like I didn't even want to show George and, or bring George in until I knew uh, I could do it. So Rocket to Russia, which was our first adventure, um, where you play a crack commando team that goes to a mysterious island in the middle of nowhere uh, to deal with an enemy agent and run afoul of like suddenly all these like fish creatures and monsters. Um, I did it as a D-100 system. I did it, you know, and I had all these different like dice and this and that. And like, I kept trying to simplify it. And then, you know, when I was talking about it, George is, we're watching TV, the kid's running around, he's sitting there typing on his laptop and I go, and I, I tell him, well, it's going to be this D hunter system, this dice. And he's like, he lifts his head up one second. He goes, why don't you just make it a single D 10 if you want to make it really easy. And then just puts his head back down and goes back to work. <laughs> and I'm like, huh? And I thought about it and you know, it's, it's not just tying it into three, two, and one, because it's the name of the system. But like, I, I looked at my goddaughter and, you know, essentially the, the creation of this was a father daughter combo between George and my goddaughter. And like, you know, I'm watching her learning her ABCs and one, two, threes. And I'm like, you know, most people, and I know it seems like a broad generalization, but most people can count to 10. And <laughs> simple know, yes. addition and subtraction, right? So we made it a single D10. Everything works off a single D10. You have a system where if you're going to get a penalty or a bonus, it's going to be a one, two, or three, either way. And you are going to roll against your stat, either at or below your stat. And if you get a penalty or a bonus, it goes to your dice roll. And that's it. You know, two is the lowest stat, nine is the highest stat. So it always gives you the ability for failure or success. And we do a thing called fill the plot hole in two sentences. So we're at Gen Con. Years ago, me and George would go to Gen Con together. I mean, he, George has been writing for years. George has been like writing for years. I think the first time he ever was published was with the things we did together. But we take these writing, writing seminars together. I'm like, this is going to be the year. This is going to be the year I'm going to write. And I never did it. But I was sitting there. Um, you know, I don't drink anymore. Uh, not, I haven't done it for years. But I was hungover to hell this day at Gen Con. And I went to this writing seminar. And I'm like sweating out booze. And I'm only half paying attention <laughs> I couldn't tell you who the writer was, who we were seeing, but he said something profound and it stuck with me. And it's that most plot holes in any story can be fixed with two sentences. And I was like, huh, and I wrote it down and then it just stuck with me. And I didn't even have to look at the book. I couldn't even find the book I wrote it down in at this point. It's been years, but I remembered it. So we did a mechanic called fill the plot hole in two sentences. Because when you play any kind of RPG, there's always like, well, you have this many stats and it's going to fall into one of these different categories, right? Mm -hmm. Or in Cthulhu, it's you have like, you have maybe 5% to drive a car, this, that, or the other thing. And I've always kind of thought, it's like, I'm an adult playing, I'm an adult in this game, like not even in my life in this game. My guy's like 45. How does he only have 5% with driving the car? <laughs> so fill the pothole in two sentences when the game runner, which is what we call the, the person who runs the games and in three to one action gives you a challenge and says, well, maybe like, you know, action 
is the main stat. We do action, brains, brawn, charm, cool, and guts. So action is the main stat. So if you have something that's really outstandingly hard to do and it gives you an action check plus three, you got to roll a D10 and add three to your roll. And maybe you only have a seven as a stat. So you could fill the pothole in two sentences. So if I'm like, all right, well, you're like, I want to ride this motorcycle. And you go, okay, uh, action check plus three. You've never ridden a motorcycle before. Or fill the pothole in two sentences. How can you ride a motorcycle? And you go, well, you know, one summer I spent at my cousin's house and we used to ride dirt bikes out on the trail and my mom hated it. And it's like, okay, cool. I'll adjust the bonus because you've given me two sentences, you know? And so, you know, we did that. Everything automatically hits because, you know, we want to try to make dice rolling important, but make sure that it's not superfluous. So everything automatically hits. When you roll damage, you roll against the modifier on the weapon. So say if you fire a machine gun and the machine gun damage is minus two, you roll a D10, subtract two, whatever's left is the damage. But if you roll a two or a one, that means you miss, you know, essentially everything hits, but you know, that's considered a miss, you know, you're not doing any damage. And so, you know, we built it around that. And, you know, the other thing is we use luck points instead of hit points because it's cinematic. It's, it's supposed to be cinematic storytelling. Yeah, so die in the movie, you know, for scene or whatever. Yeah. yeah. So, or like you blow a roll and you spend your luck points to make the roll. So, you know, if you're swinging out a vine over a pit of lava uh, and you go to jump to the other vine and you miss, you know, you could make it by spending some of your luck points doing the risk reward thing. It's like, well, I could spend three luck points to make it to the next vine or I could fall in this pit of lava and we'll see what happens. Like, so, you know, you look at like John McClane in, in Die Hard, which is one of the main examples I use, like he gets beat to hell, but somehow he manages to walk out of there like barely but like he you know he should have died a lot and you know <laughs> he, his luck is what keeps him alive you know in any kind of horror movie you know how does the person come back like from the brink of death show up with a chainsaw to save the day it's like well you're spending your luck to make that happen nice um man there's just so many so many directions to go um so there, there's lots of genres you can cover with three people yeah. in action. I mean, we were kind of talking before I started the recording here. And uh, I mean, Westerns, horror, uh, straight up actions uh, or action movies. I mean, and uh, oh, I'm missing something. There's one other that you mentioned. Uh, oh, Western said, anyhow, but the idea is that like, this is like a universal sort of playground to play in. Yeah. Um, what? As a creator myself, I would just be going so divergent on this. I, I, you know, so many ideas going so many directions. How do you keep those cats in the bag and going in a particular direction uh, as you're lining up, you know, your production for this? No, that's, that's a, that's a great question. So, you know, George is funny, man. Like sometimes he'll just, he'll turn on a dime and be like, Hey buddy, what do you think about this? And like, it's always a cool idea. I might get a little bitchy at first because I can't wrap my head around it for a second. I'm like, oh, we're supposed to do this because <laughs> um, I'm an Aries and I could be uptight sometimes. But then I think about it and then I'm like, all right, so we'll pivot. So, you know, we started out with Rocket to Russia. Well, technically, I, I started writing Point Escape from Point Nemo, which a documentary film crew 
shipwrecks on a mysterious island on the island of Point Nemo, and then like they have to fight their way off it against all the creatures. And George is like, well, we're going to launch it during Zine Quest. It was the first Kickstarter we ever did. He's like, well, what if we did a prequel, like our prelude to it? And I was like, but I'm writing this. And he's like, but what if we did this, which ended up being Rocket to Russia? So I said, all right. So then we wrote it. Um, and it ended up being like, you know, we wrote a rule set and then we wrote the adventure. It ends up being like over 100 pages for a Zine Quest. I'm doing air. <laughs> and then we followed up with Escape from Point Nemo. And then as we're writing Escape from Point Nemo, he goes, hey, buddy what if we did a holiday adventure and gave it away to all the people who backed us on the first year? I'm like, but, but we're still writing this one. And he's like, but what if we did this? And so we did Kevin Saves Christmas, where you are Kevin the Amphicora on the island of Point Nemo. You bring uh, history's greatest air quotes heroes through space and time through like this trans-dimensional gate that I created for the islands. And you have to fight Krampus. So we went from like Predator to like Weird Island Horror Survival you know, to kids. I mean, I, I mean, I'm getting a lot of vibes out of that. That's awesome. Right. And then like, and, and so we did that. That was like, you know, the first year and a half um, because, you know, still getting used to getting our sea legs for production and like, you know, hiring artists and, you know, getting things together. And then we were, we started working on a horror game and he kind of hit a point where he's like, I'm not feeling this. Cause it was, it was his idea. It was his story. And I'm like, well, what do you want to do? And he's like, Hey buddy what do you think about doing a vehicle battle RPG? That was the one. Post-apocalyptic. Post-apocalyptic. I I was missing one of the genres. Yeah. In 2060 with electric cars and vehicles. (laughs) And I was like, but we're we're doing horror. Because, nah, he's like, this is the one. And so then we we started writing Children of Uma, which, um, no illusions, it wasn't for Zine Quest. Uh, It ended up being 144 pages with... 32 playable vehicles, six or eight gangs, uh, six playable characters, a bunch of weapons. It's crazy. It's, it's, it is massive. And so while we're doing that, he goes, what if we did like a bonus, like as a stretch goal for this Kickstarter, we'll do an additional zine called Mini Submania, which is like, it's a James Bond style adventure where you're underwater, like raiding a sea lab with like undersea vehicles and like stealth. And so like we went, we pivoted to that. So we did that as well. And like the, the thing is what we try to do is one, everything takes place in the same world. Um, it's all our world. It's all, it's all in our world at different time periods and different things in that. And so like there are, I mean, there's connective tissue that runs through all the games that we've made. So sometimes um, you'll, you'll have like an, an allusion to like the, the island creatures or whatever in another book or whatever, that kind of thing. Right. So, so in Children of Uma, something pops. So there's a thing uh, of essentially like a pharmaceutical company that's run by a billionaire that kind of runs through all the stories. And there's, there's characters that pop up here and there where if you have never played any of these other games, it doesn't matter because you're just, you're, you're experiencing that character in that moment. But if you have played the other games, you're like, well, all right, <laughs> this is cool. Um, there's a band called the Helsings um, that the bass player was in Point Nemo. The band um, exists and is like one of the favorite bands of, of kids in another game. And then the gang ends up taking the name from them in the future in Children of Uma. So we're doing all that, all the connective tissues there. And finally, I was like, George, we're doing horror. We're doing horror. Like, no take backs. So... <laughs> You know, I, you know, I, I joke about it, but like creating with him is like is the best um, 
the best journey that I've had in my life. Cause we've been playing, we played in bands together. We've been friends for like 20 years. Like, um, like he's my, he's like my ride or die, man. He's my, he's my, my best friend in the world. He's my creative partner. And like, he really does bring the best out of me and, and my ideas. And, you know, I like to think I pull it out of him too, but so we're doing horror. So we did the devil in New Jersey, which was a found footage horror that takes place in the nineties. Um, where you are a band of kids in South Jersey, Central Jersey. I always get confused because we, we we argue amongst ourselves in the States whether Central Jersey exists, but you're in the Pine Barrens <laughs> and uh, one of your friends goes missing and you have to go find them in the Pine Barrens and you run afoul of the Jersey Devil and whatnot. But, um, you know, for me, I remember, and I don't know how old you are, but I, I remember going to see the Blair Witch in theaters, right? Mm-hmm. I remember a time pre-internet and I'm not trying to be like, well, back in my day, we walked backwards to school in the snow. But like, when you look at what people experience in their life now by having the internet, um, I've been there for all stages. Like I had no internet. I had crappy internet. I've had reasonably good internet. And now like, you know, I'm downloading movies from space, but yeah, I remember seeing the Blair Witch in theaters and that being like the last time I was really like, you know, it's so raw and so visceral. And so like, you know, at the time, like, like, no, it's real. It happened. And you're like, I don't know about this, but like there was no found footage movies or, or I mean, or there was cannibal Holocaust, but we all know that was like what it was, but like <laughs> nothing like the Blair Witch. So um, I didn't know how much I really loved the, that movie and the idea of that movie until I wrote the devil in New Jersey. And then um my fiance and George had an idea for a Western called uh, the Sunset Limited. So we did a Western. And then now we're, we're doing a mini golf adventure. Because <laughs> uh, he, he looks at me and he's like, hey, buddy, you know, for the next Kickstarter, what if we did like a holiday adventure? I'm like, what holiday do you want to do? We already did Kevin Stacey Christmas. He's like, what if we did an April Fool's adventure? And I'm like, well, what? What could you? What could we possibly do for an April Fool's adventure? He's like, "How about mini golf?" And I sat there for a second, and I was like, "I'm not even going to try to think of a reason not to. I'm just going to go start writing the thing." So uh, we started writing "Hard Times on the Back Nine, where you play a pair of twin siblings who have to go to hell to play against the devil's champion to save your great grandfather's soul. And so it is a nine. You're playing on the back nine of a mini golf course. So there's nine holes. You play against the devil's champion, Ted Pepe, who uh, <laughs> created the oh, DMV. And that's why he's the devil's champion. He's the hell's greatest torturer, uh, responsible for more suffering than any of the other demons in hell combined. Because he created the DMV. <laughs> and uh, and so, so we did that. And then we decided to make it a double feature. So we're, we're actually, you know, we, we gave Kevin Saves Christmas out uh, as, a, as a gift to the people who backed us in the first year in PDF form only. Uh, but now we've revised it. We've added some stuff. We're adding new art to it. And we're actually going to do physical copies of Kevin Saves Christmas. So that's what we have going on on Kickstarter right now. Two things that uh, are so crazy, they just might work. Thankfully. Yeah, and and that, that launched, was it yesterday or two days ago? Uh, Tuesday. Tuesday. Okay. So three days ago, uh, folks listen to this, it'd be five days ago or something. I don't know, but the, the point is it is live and hot right now, folks. So like yeah. head over to Kickstarter right now, take a look at this, uh, back it. Um, I, I need to know more, 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 more. Um, let's, let's jump to Kevin saves Christmas first, because yeah. uh, you've done something that I've often thought about doing myself about going back into some space where I've already done something and, and you know, touching it up. 
And I have a hard time personally doing that because I look at it and I go, ah, yeah, this, that needs to change. And by the, by the end of my thought process, I'm like, yeah, I might as well just write something totally new. Right, um, right. How, how, do you, how did you manage that project? What sort of things did you and, and George sit down and say, okay, this is, these are things we want to change. These are things we're keeping the same. Or you know, this is what this really needs to be dolled up for this, uh, you know, this release of it. So first and foremost, we needed a new cover. Um, Chief Hasselberger, who does a lot of amazing layout work for us and also does like a lot of, he's doing like work for Plan X and other people. Yeah. He did the, the Chungus book, didn't he, for Levi? Yeah. He's, he's the real deal, man. And once you see three, uh, uh, once you see Sister Saren, what he did um, for Sister Saren for Levi, you, you're you going to know. I mean, you look at our books too that he did, but like you look at that book, it, it just, I saw the PDF of it recently and I'm like, damn, Jesus, <laughs> Jesus, something else. But you know, we needed a new cover for it because cheese. We had to cheese just throw us throw together a cover for us. Um, you know, we had art for all the monsters um, as a as a gag. You know, because mind you, like this is this is right after our first Kickstarter, so we did not have a lot of money left over to be like mm-hmm. putting out a a bonus, even as a PDF book. Uh, we we made postcards that we say we mailed to all the backers to thank them for backing us, like. We're, we're burning through money, but so we had all the, all the actual creatures drawn and, and all like a couple of incidental art pieces. Um, as Kevin, I drew the maps and I got my goddaughter's crayons out in paper and I, <laughs> I drew it as if I was like an amphibious fish person drawing a map. And then, uh, but for the headshots for the, the playable characters, which are all historical characters, uh, we've got um, Elizabeth Bathory, Madame Curie, uh montezuma 2 um <laughs> what what was the guy's name uh hamrabi um we had uh what was his name ned kelly a couple other people in there too but these are playable characters but we just we just use images that we got off of google um for it because we're out of money and you know we, we needed to have some kind of headshot there to represent them but we also and this this will not be in the new version of Kevin Saves Christmas, but the original version, you know, we wanted to pe- make people who were like culturally significant, special. So uh, we included Divine uh, from Pink Flamingo's <laughs> John Waters fame. Uh, and she, I built her like a, I you know, built Divine like a monster, just <laughs> like chainsaw, her Rommel hand, the Rommel handgun, uh, t- pull Tracy Turnblad out of the wig and throw her at the enemies, like just. <laughs> just ridiculous ridiculous stuff you know but that's the kind of things i like to do with action so we're, we're not going to obviously because we don't have the rights to use divine this was kind of like we're sliding this, sliding this under the radar as a free thing for everybody um but we got new art coming for all the headshots and then like you know that's all that's all cool because that's all stuff that you know you need but then we go back and we reread the manuscript and we're like yeah we could have done that better like because it's mm-hmm. like the second thing we'd ever really wrote and you know you're a different writer at this point than you were at that point we have a lot more under our belts you know and going back and like you know i i i am of two minds because i was of the mind where i got really hot and bothered when what han didn't shoot first when george lucas went in there and redid a bunch of stuff and i was like but then i'm also of the mind like you know sometimes if I had the chance to go back in and fix something that I did in the past, man, I would have moved that note over a beat, you know, like, mm. and I kind of look at what we're doing with Kevin saves Christmas is kind of moving that note over a beat. We're nothing dramatic 
is changing. Like the story is there. Like we're not, we're not messing with the story, but like I'm reading through some of the mechanics that I wrote for like attacks and for like abilities for the characters. And I'm like, all right, I, it, I could see how that made sense when I wrote it. But now that I've, I've written, geez, man, I've written between like monsters, playable characters and NPCs. I've statted out in the last, you know, over the last several books, I, I've statted out almost like 60 plus or more things, you know, people and these <laughs> characters. And now like, I, I understand a lot better how to write these descriptions. And I'm like, okay, I can make that actually make sense now. So when someone's playing it, they go, mm. oh, that's what this does. It's, it's so, almost like it's developing into a style guide or whatever, where it's like, yeah, this is the format we use. This is how we're going to express this. Yeah. Uh, and we got better with that too. We got, you know, once, once we hit children of Uma, we had a very specific and, and steady, like, this is how you do this. This is how you do that. This is how this fits. Um, and this is how it would be written and it's consistent. So yeah, in time, actually we, we, we really did have that by escape from point Nemo as well. So eventually like, I, I want to go back and tweak some things here and there, but not for story for, for just the specific purpose of like, I want people to play to actually understand what I want them to be able to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, it's, that's, it's hard to go back and do that though, but you know, one of the things that I, I asked a writer friend a long time ago and I asked her, she's like, she, she put out like books, um, uh, like she's published like Simon and Schuster level, like published, like, <laughs> and I'm like, well, well, how do you do this? Like, how do you, she's like, write every day. And I was like, well, I know, but everyone said, she's like, John, write every day. And, and she's like, and when you want to get better, you will get better if you just keep writing. And I can honestly say that was some of the best advice I ever gotten because the more I write, the better I get at writing. And, you know, I'm still like shit for uh, writing in per- which person I'm writing in and which, you know, if I'm tense <laughs> or whatever, but like, you know, that's what uh, we pay an editor for. Yeah, to, that's why to, they make the big books. To fix, fix, you know, make this make sense. That is good. <laughs> <laughs> um, before we leave this one, uh... So I'm, I'm imagining this game, you're playing as Kevin, the historical figures that come in, how do they interact with the player? Is, is the player taking over them too? Or are they NPCs or, you know, how does this magic work? So that's a, it's a great question. So what we have in all our adventures is we always have a non-playable character that's central to the story. So you are playing along with that character. So in Escape from Point Nemo, it was a character named Alexis. Um, in like Children of Uma, you, you run into several NPCs that are there to help move the story along. Um, you know, there, there's stuff that does feel like it's on rails to a degree, but ultimately it's kind of, you're going to do what you're going to do, but this is the story beat that leads you into the next part. And that's what these NPCs are. Uh, I liken it to uh, Burke and Aliens. Actually, it's actually what we write when we talk about how to run an NPC in our books, where it's like, there is, he's got plot armor. There's no reason why he should have survived so long, but he's there to maneuver and move along the plot until it's time for him to get on that elevator. We all know mm-hmm. what happens. Um, and Kevin is the NPC that moves the story along. And Kevin says, Christmas, you play as the historical characters. So ah, okay. um, you could play as, uh, you know, Montezuma, you could, Montezuma too. You could play as, um, Madame, you know, Elizabeth Bathory, all those guys. Um, and their powers are all based off of, and their powers and their abilities 
are all based off of the things that like that define them as historical figures. So, you know, you have the pillar that um, Hammurabi wrote all the law on, and you're using that to smash the heck out of uh, other people and creatures and whatnot. You know, Elizabeth Vamp- Bathory has vampire powers. Um, you know, Madame Curie has like radiation like stuff, you know? So, you know, it, it's all based off of the things that they were known for in life. Um, Montezuma too has a cacao can and it's essentially a bazooka that fires like chocolate, <laughs> you know, cause he loved cocoa. Um, and that's, and, and that's, that's what we do. Like I, I try to design characters and give them abilities that are, are to, that are like really central to who they are um, as a character, you know? And, and, you know, the cool thing is action. You could whip up a character in like two minutes. So if you don't want to play these characters that come with the book, you don't have to. However, I put a lot of love into the characters. I put a lot of deep lore into their weapons and the things that they do. So, you know, you're only going to get so much story about this world and how many of her pages you got. But, you know, if you are, you know, playing Edith in The Devil in New Jersey, you've got a butterfly knife that is a butterfly knife that's been passed down from like Hesher's to generation to generation. You stole it from the principal's office and you find some initials on it that are for a guy named Flynn who went missing, you know, back in the seventies. And it's in this, this knife has been passed down from like Hesher to Hesher. Um, or you have like, and then you end up finding something that has to do with that later in the game. But like you, you understand the world a little better to, to experience it as a player. Um, yeah, it's like you talked about earlier weapons. about all the connective tissue between the games also existing yeah. inside of them. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there is, uh, you know, we do, we do pamphlet games as well to promote the things when they come out. So we did, uh, we've got one called Grounded for Life, which hasn't come out yet. I mean, it's, it, people have it. I send it to people all the time, but it's like, it's a, just to get you, you, I was handing it out at GaryCon and it's, you play the kid who's grandma's favorite, who. Sounds familiar. I know, but the grandmother, the, the, the grandmother is one of the playable characters from Escape from Point Nemo, and you have to break her out of a nursing home before the feds get her. <laughs> um, you know, we did Ski Quest, where you play as another chapter of the Hellsings in Switzerland, and you're racing downhill being chased by Yetis with machine guns. Uh, we did the Hotel Exorcist to promote what we do for horror. We're like, you are literally a, 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 a nudie suit. Are you familiar with what a nudie suit is? I'm not. Uh, all the all the old country stars used to wear them, and some of them still do. They're uh, suits that are emblazoned like rhinestones and oh, like okay. you know chain stitching and whatever. So you are a nudie suit wearing exorcist that works exclusively in hotels, motels, bed and breakfast, and you go and excise the unwanted <laughs> guests uh, from those rooms. And then we did uh, a ham and egg and hell or promote mini golf, which is you play as King Arthur. Um, in you play two holes to get used to using the golf rules as King Arthur um, in hell, trying to get Excaliputter back. <laughs> Excaliputter, I love it, man. Yeah, we, I mean, we, you know, we put on a lot over the last bunch of years, and it's it, it it's all connected. It's all together. So let's jump now that we're talking about uh, playing mini golf. Let's jump to that adventure. Um, so you're, you're the players are playing one of the two twins. Yeah. Um, one of the questions I, I told you, I really you know, came to the forefront of my mind is, 
you know, anytime you're playing the main antagonist in, in as a dungeon master or, or, or showrunner or what have you, um, you know, you're boom front and center stage with that main character in in, in this particular adventure. You know, that's it, it sounds like predominantly what the, the players are up against is, is them and their shenanigans. Uh, what tools do you give the the game master? What what sort of things are baked into the the writing so that you know they, they're able to perfect that uh, that infernal uh, uh, adversarial uh, situation throughout the game? Well, it's I mean it's the, these two. I mean, granted, like we blow a lot of stuff up in the other games, and like you know, things get, people get killed, and we have epic deaths. You know, it gets gory. Um, but these these are these are meant to be like holiday specials. These are meant to like be like family friendly, and like we definitely don't do no cussing in these games. And you know the stakes are still there. Like you you legitimately play mini golf using the three two one action rules. Um, but the way it works is this: the you and your twin are playing against the devil's champion. The devil's champion is played by the game runner. So you are trying to beat you guys are all trying to beat each other and trying to win. If either twin wins, the good ending happens. If the devil's champion, Ted wins, the bad ending happens. And so by using the three to one action rules, you actually like, you know, if you, you know, roll to every time you roll, right. The first, the first putt you make, if you roll a one, you re-roll. If you roll another one, you get a hole in one, right. Easy. Um, and then if you don't, then that's one stroke. And then you have to take the next stroke, but like it's mini golf, but you know, the devil's idea of mini golf. So like, there's like quicksand and there's like the Loch Ness monster's son. And there's like a dragon gopher and like, <laughs> you know, zombies and like pirates and like secret passageways. Like it's, it is like a Rankin and Bass fever dream. <laughs> but the the story gets moved along and you learn more about the world by the people you encounter so you know after like the third the 10 11 12 after the 12th hole um you you meet like a dude who is in like a dungeon and he that's his spot there but he knows ted and he's like ted you still owe me dues for like the bowling league and then like you get to like the next bunch of holes and you meet people who interact and tell you more about your grandfather and tell you more about like what's going on. And like, they're, you know, they're Raz and Ted cause Ted's kind of a jerk. Um, and you know, you learn more about like everything that's going on, like leads you to the end of the story. But instead of having like one NPC that leads you there because the devil is actually playing the one monster in the game or the, the game runner is playing the one monster in the game. You, you have all the other things that are happening in the world kind of help you down the path of that story. And I mean, this one is completely on rails. You are playing mini golf. You're playing nine holes, hold, 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 yeah. you know, now granted you can while out at these holes and you can go like, you know, do other things, but at the end of the day, you, you got to get from A to B because you have a very specific, and it's the only time we've ever really done this where it's like, well, it has to be completely on the rails because it's, it's a, it's a mini golf. It's course. a theme. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So it's cool. And we got Tim Burns drawing the holes. He did all the vehicle art for, and bless him, man. He did all together. He did 41 vehicles between Mini Submania and Children of Uma. So 
I was like, what would you think about? It? He's like, I will do this. And he <laughs> was a really great look at mini golf holes, really like to, to what I said that I needed them to be. Um, it's pretty cool stuff. Where do you want to go from here? Like, like in your wildest dreams, what's next? So, you know, for me, I just want to keep writing cool stories and I want to get more people playing the game. You know, I, I have no illusions that I'm going to make like a million dollars doing this. But like, to me, like the, the reward is the work. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like I talk to Levi about all the time, like, because we, we talk almost every day, like we're sending, you know, he sent me art, I'm sending him art. He's like, what do you think of this idea? And we're bouncing ideas back. I sent him like stuff that I wrote that I just like giggling. Um, but, you know, I, in my very early 20s, um, you know, was a little more mercenary about, you know, being an artist because you had to, like, you know, you, uh, you listen to, you ever listen to Springsteen, you know, you know, Born and Run, he talks, you know, you got to get it while you're young. Mm-hmm. And there is a point where you are young, beautiful, and near indestructible. And you got to push <laughs> all in if you want to follow your dreams. So you got to go for it and you got to do the work. Uh, and, you know, back then I, I was a little more mercenary about it. And, you know, it didn't make me happy. You know, I, I had I had a lot of fun. I did a lot of cool stuff, but it wasn't like I wasn't one of the ones that made it. And that was okay because I hit a point where I had to redefine my idea of success and I realized that the joy is doing the work. The joy is the accomplishment and the, and the, the good vibes I get from sitting there writing and like popping myself first and making myself like laugh at the stupid stuff that I get to write. And, you know, the, the, the honor really of knowing that other people are going to pay for this and play it with their friends and have a great time doing it. You know, I get people messaging me a lot being like, Oh man, we used your rules. And, and like, I ran like Terminator two or like we used your rules. And they say they did. Oh, the other day he used it and he, uh, he did like an eighties, like, you know, teen adventure movies. And I was like, that's, that's what it's all about, man. It's all yeah. about like, you know, the thing that made me fall in love with role-playing games was having some laughs around the table with my friends. And the fact that I get to be a part of a team that creates an environment that can foster that kind of fun, that's 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 what it is for me. Um, pie in the sky, my blue sky. <clears throat> I would love some of these stories to get uh, adapted off into other things. Like, I, w- I would love to see one of these, these games as like a Netflix movie or something where, like, <laughs> you know, I can sit there and be like, that's not how I envisioned that character to be, but like <laughs> I'll laugh all, I'll, I'll complain all the way to the bank when I cash that check, <laughs> you know, but like, I, I, I want to see, I want to see it in other places. I would love to see it like adapted and, you know, it's not, I'm not saying we're anywhere near that, but like, you know, stranger things have happened, you know, and we do a lot of work because being, you know, this being a, an independent publisher and an independent creator is a lot of work. But man, I wouldn't do it for one fun and I wasn't enjoying it, you know, my whole heart. And, and that's a great segue into something I wanted to talk about before we're done tonight is just like, you know, we got a lot of people that listen to the program as I'm, I'm sure, you know, the <coughs> program, you know, a lot of people are listening to it to just try to like glean the idea of, you know, what is it to be in this industry in some form, this hobby, I guess is maybe a better term than industry. Um, so making a system, putting any product out, but especially making a system, you know, 
you mentioned it's a lot of work. I mean, what, what are some things you think people, or, or maybe even you yourself when you're starting off, don't think about when it comes to, to publishing a system? That would have made a lot more money if I had just written Fantasy 5e. <laughs> You know, uh, you know, it's one of those things like, I, you know, I, I knew that creating a system because, you know, at the end of the day, one of the things people and, you know, in RPGs complain about most is learning a new system. Yeah. So even though it's like the simplest thing, it's, you know, it's, it's learning a new system. So, you know, when you are an independent creator who creates a new system, you are pushing a boulder uphill from the start. Uh, it gets lighter, it gets better, but like it, it's it's not you you are the the tortoise and not the hare that is like fifth edition dungeon of dragons with them by it um i'll tell people though that like if you want to get into the industry uh because it is it as much as it's a hobby it's an industry because people are making money people are spending money to make products and you know you are essentially as a creator working a second job to keep this dream alive and keep it going um do it give it a shot, you know, and I'm not in any way downplaying like people who write fifth edition adventures. But I, what I'm clearly just saying is that you will have an easier time finding an audience or writing something that everybody is playing and there's massive appeal for. And if you really love those stories that you're writing, you really believe in it, other people are going to believe in it too. And you're, you're going to get people who are willing to give it a shot. And I think that's the coolest thing in the world. And I like a lot of my friends write 5e, a lot of my friends write, um, you know, Dungeons and Dragons or Hacks of Dungeons and Dragons and stuff like that. And I read it like Levi, I told you, I read it, I pop and I'm excited for it. You know, I just decided to go a different way with it uh, because that's what my heart told me to do. And that's what my brain wanted to do. But I still, you know, like I wrote for Frog God. I wrote, I co-wrote Heresy Rot with uh, Levi. And, uh, you know, I, I've, I've definitely got some fantasy 5D in the tank and other kinds of, you know, D&D style fantasy, but, you know, do it. I think it's important that, you know, you play test the things that you write to make sure that it doesn't just make sense to you, that it makes sense that other people can pick it up and play it. I think it's important to try to find people in your life who will be honest with you and not you know, crap in your cornflakes, but they're going to tell you if something isn't good or something could be better. And it's important to learn how to take that with a grain of salt yeah. uh, because that's, that's how you're going to grow as a creator. That's how you're going to be better and create better art is to be willing to take constructive feedback from people that you respect. And then also when you do get into the business, um, remember that, uh, it's important to give back. It's important to, to be willing and open to, you know, starting and fostering relationships with people by like being that person who could be honest with them about it. You know, if they don't know how to do something, tell them, don't gatekeep. Like if you come to me and you, if you email me and you're like, Hey, I want to do this. What do you think? I will respond to you. Like I have people who still find my podcasting email and, you know, there was a, two women who were launching a show and they were like, what would it cost to get you to consult? And I'm like, I'll just tell you everything I know. I don't care. Like go have fun and then just pay it forward to somebody else. You know, I have been blessed to have people like Levi and Adam Vass and other people in the business who mentored me in ways where like I could call them up, I could ask them a question and not be afraid to ask those questions. So I try to give it back as much as I can. It's important to not close the door behind you, but to hold it open for others trying to come in. 
Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I think that almost to a man or woman or person, I guess it's the term I want to use, yeah. uh, almost to a person, everybody that's in this hobby that's, that's publishing stuff, especially small publishers, seems to be the same way. I mean, I mean, everybody wants to be able to say, look, you know, this took me a long time to learn this little nugget and to make it worth my while. I want to give it to you. You know, yeah. I, want to, I want to show you what I know, because that way you don't have to suffer through it. It makes me feel you know, better about all I had to do to get to that, you know, and uh, so, so yeah, I, you know, I, I'm 100% behind your, your, your statement there, uh, you know, folks, if you're thinking of writing something, be it a system or an adventure or whatever, yeah, you know, no time like the present, uh, it's, it's not easy, it's, yeah. it's long hours, it's like taking a second job. Yeah, but, uh, fortune favors the bold, man, and I can promise you, I can promise anyone who's listening right now who's thinking about going down that path, you will not feel better. Yeah, you, you won't feel any better than when you have that box cutter out and you open up that box for the first time and you fold the top of that box back and you see your book in front of you uh, in color or black and white or whatever it may be. And you know that the dishes are done, man. And you have you, you've, you've helped bring that into the world and that you're going to send that off to people and they're going to have a blast playing with your friends. I mean, there's no, there's no better feeling. Like I... I literally like every time I know that UPS truck is coming, I'm watching the app because I'm ready to see what, what, what it looks like when it gets here. So, you know, do it. So John, you've written, you know, as you're just saying for the, the heresy of rot, you were doing an adventure for pre-established system. Um, apples to oranges. Uh, what are the differences between writing an adventure for somebody else's system versus writing your own system, your own content for that system? So, for my system, I have to figure out how to, I have to figure out a way to make it work within the parameters of how three, two, one action works with a 10 sided die, which is kind of fun because it, it challenges you sometimes to write more like on a, on a rumor chart, you got to write 10. <laughs> so it challenges you to write more, but also like in a lot of ways, it makes it easier because you know that everything is based off of like one single thing specifically. Um, writing for other systems like 5e is also cool because i've been playing it for so long like i may not know all the rules or mm -hmm. whatever and half the rules i've never really read the dmg but <laughs> uh you know I, I know how things are supposed to look like i know it's like well you need to make this check and, and this is how it's phrased and this is how it's framed so like you know even when i'm writing the, the fifth edition adventure like I, i'm framing it out like okay like i know this is how it's supposed to look on the page this is supposed to be bolded this is supposed to be capitalized this is supposed to fit here here and here and even if it's a, a thing where it's got to go from like you know because here's the rot like shout frogger games shout necromancer like it's so cool because they don't just put it out for like 5e like the one we did came out for 5e um castles and crusades and like ose or osr or you know basic you know dnd stuff but you know, you play a game long enough, you learn how to create it through osmosis. <laughs> and so a lot of what I did with three to one action, a lot of it is just, you know, is, is basic formatting from like first edition and second edition, third edition, D and D, whatever. It's like you bold this, this is this, this is this. And like you, you kind of, you don't think you know it. Cause you think that it's, it's daunting in a way, like, well, you, you got to write it. Like I have to figure out how to do all this stuff. Like if you just do it, like you already know it from other things that you encountered and been playing for decades, like you, 
you shockingly already know how to do it and you just need to fill in the blanks and fill in the story parts. And, you know, it's essentially like uh, and the RPG equivalent of a Mad Lib where you're like, okay, well, this is a stat block and this is what I have to say to get to this stat block, stat block. This is what I have to say to get to this check. This is this. And like, it just, it kind of, mm-hmm. it, it it rolls off the the thumbs a little better than you think it does. Is there anything that you would consider to have been uh, painful in your experience of, of developing the system and getting it out there? Uh, you know, it was a lot of, and then where I, I wrote this thing and I was like, well, and then I have to figure out how to produce it. And then I have to figure out how to talk to artists. And then I have to figure out like where to get it printed. And then I have to figure out, you know, so it was just the first time it was a challenge because it's the first time you're learning how to do things. And it's not like, okay, the first time I had to learn how to write something was also the first time I had to learn how to like hire people to work on it. It was also the first time I had to learn how to get it printed. The first time I had to learn how to get it fulfilled like you know because all those hats are going on the same end right yeah and it's it's not just it's not just like oh i wrote this and i get paid like you know x amount of cents per word and i'm off to the next one it's like no i'm producing this thing from from soup to nuts and i'm having to to wear all these hats and i have a small head and you know that that was the hard part and also like getting a kickstarter together and figuring out like trying to like you know approximate from what you see on other people's kickstarters and trying to get the rhythm and trying to figure out how to grind and sell and do all this it's it's a lot because you're you're two people you know most the, you know i said i've said this before but the dirty secret of independent publishing is that like we don't have a staff most creators are one maybe two people you know if you're lucky maybe a three-person team but that's a lot of weight to carry for one person or two people, you know, and, and me and George, we do it and we, 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 we work our asses off and we get the job done. But like, you know, that was the hard part. But then like, once I got a few Kickstarters in, under our belt, it started getting easier. And it started being like, you know, by the time we, we launched this Kickstarter, like I had it done weeks in advance. We figured out how we're going to lay it out. We figured out the things we're going to do with it. And that was it. We just ran with it and, and, it is the easiest Kickstarter we've ever run. It's the best looking Kickstarter we've ever run. The best promotions we've done and figured out how to get that rhythm going. And it does get better. I tell you all the creators out there thinking about doing, it does get better, but it's a lot of work at first to figure out how the, uh, how the sauce gets made. Yeah. And there's so many unknowns. I mean, I, I remember like this is going way back uh, when I was doing my first, first run in the, uh, small publisher, uh, relay here with a different game company um i remember spending like maybe a week just pacing around the house trying to think of like what should i sell this book for what's reasonable yeah. you know i've got this much in it will people pay a dollar more than that <laughs> will they pay ten dollars yeah. more than that okay you know what do i need to have to get to the next book and uh and like you said after you've been through the the ropes a few times and then you start to realize okay this is kind of what we're working with this is about what's going to happen this is you know uh it does get so much easier after you've been through it a little yeah you also like figure out like things like cost per page yeah right where you know the first one where i just like swing for the fences and <laughs> cost me more to make than i thought i needed to to kickstart and then suddenly you're like oh now i'm on the, I'm on the hook for another couple grand Ooh. 
And then like, you know, the next one, like you make more money and then you try to spend that money and make it a bigger book. And then you're just kind of like same spot, you know? <laughs> and you, you said like, you know, we're at a point now where like, if you buy from the Kickstarter is the way to get it. So you bought from us at the Kickstarter more likely than not, you're going to get it for at least five bucks less than we're going to end up charging for it on the streets because we factor in, you can only factor in so much. And once you say what the price is on the Kickstarter, that's the price on the Kickstarter. But then by the time it ends up getting produced, you know, I had people come up be like, oh, did you mischarge me for this? And I'm like, why? Like, well, you know, you charged like 30 and the back of the book says like 35. I was like, well, because it actually costs more to produce, but you got it on the ground floor. So you got the deal. Yeah. Um, but like trying to figure that out page. And then like once now that we've, we're so far down the line, we've figured out what the, the cost per page is. We could get a better idea of what things are going to cost. So then the money starts getting better because then we're not shooting ourselves in the foot and trying to just think about what we think it's going to be. And then it, the, the bill comes due and you're like, Oh, we shouldn't have ordered so many appetizers. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it's, you know, you, you learn and you, you get better at it. And that's, you know, the, the knowledge that I try to bring to people. And I try to tell people, they ask me, I'm like, listen, got to figure out what the page costs. And then you know what you actually have to charge. Uh, and, and I'm sure we still undercharge for books, but we also want to make it accessible. We want people to have it. That's why the rule book in whatever form it is will always be free as a PDF and drive through RPG. We want people to play our game. We want people to have access to it. So we're always going to have stuff that's free. Like some pamphlets will be free. The rule book could be free. So you... Whether you have money or not, you can play our game. Uh, and if we expand the rule book, the rules are still going to be free. But if you want a physical copy, I'll cost you five bucks. But, you know, you live, you learn. Fantastic, man. I, you know, uh, there, there's not a lot of companies anymore that, that, that do that sort of thing where it's like, hey, you know, get in on the ground floor for free. Here's the rules. And, uh, you know, to, it's just noble of you guys, I, you know. Thank you, man. I kind of feel like if, if you're going to ask someone to invest in a new system, you kind of have to give them the, give them the chance to do it by not asking them to spend money on something that they don't know. Like, you know, coming up in rock and roll, coming to punk rock, like what do you hear before you buy an album or a song on the radio? And you get to decide if like that moves you enough to get you to a record store to go and buy an album from an artist so for me and for us, having a rule book that's free, that's that's single on the radio. You like it? Come buy an album, you know, or like pick up a PDF of the, you know, one of the free pamphlet PDFs that we have. Play through it by yourself. See if you like it. Buy an album afterwards. Like the rule book to me should always be that song on the radio that that brings you in and gives you the reason to want to buy in. Really, got to get back to the Kickstarter real quick for me. And um, so, so right now it's funded, it's it's live, it's going on here, folks. For at least probably by the time this gets on the uh, out there into the internet land, uh, we probably got at least two weeks left on it easily. Yep. Um, so now these are these are two separate books, or is it a double feature in the idea that like it's a book going one way and a book going the other way when you flip it over? Oh, that's, see, that's a much better idea. See, we didn't even think of that. That's a much better idea. No, <laughs> uh, but it, it is two separate, but that's a much better idea. Shit. 
but it's no, it's a, it is a uh, two books. Um, and the way we did it was like, we know times are tough for everybody. And knowing that we already had Heaven Saves Christmas pretty much done, we just had to like zhuzh it up a little bit. Um, we wanted to make it affordable for people. So for 10 bucks, you get the PDF of both books and a uh, PDF of A Ham and Egg in Hell, which is the PDF adventure, the, the, First the pamphlet adventure. Um, or for 20, you get both physical copies of the book. You get a physical copy of A Ham and Egg in Hell and the PDFs for all of them. So for 20 bucks, you get two books. You get, for 20 bucks, you get two books, a pamphlet and three PDFs. And then it's media shipping. So, you know, in the US, I think it's like, I forget if it was like five or six bucks we put down, but like it's, it's media shipping. So you're not going to spend that much more for shipping. And, you know, unfortunately for international shipping is what it is. So it's 22 and change for Canada. It's 28 for the UK and all around the rest of the world, but we will ship it to anywhere in the world. And the cool thing is by doing it media, we have add-ons where you can buy any of our older books um, that are in publish in publication right now, because like devil hasn't come out yet. Uh, We're about to drop the PDF on that probably end of the month, but because it's media, we're not going to charge you an extra dime for shipping. We're just going to put it in with the shipping you've already paid for. Yeah, just put put it in a bigger envelope. But you know, we we decided this year after making like big books that were like thirty something dollars, we're going to try to keep it simple. You know, um, try to keep it light so people can still afford to come play the game and enjoy it with their friends. And then, you know, the next one will probably be like a, a twenty dollars zine. For one, but you know, for now we're, we're giving it to you at the night pr- nice price. When you get it after the fact, it's going to be probably fifteen bucks a zine. But you get it on Kickstarter, you get two for twenty plus a pamphlet, three PDFs. That's amazing. Um, and folks, I've already backed it. Get out there and do it. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. What, do you have anything? Uh, if, if people want to see three, two, one action being played, do you have anything on the internet they can go uh, watch? Any live plays going on? Anything like that? Yeah, if you go to Plus One Experience, uh, shout out to uh, Tony Vicinda, Mr. Plus One himself. Um, we've done a, a couple of playthroughs on Plus One, uh, their YouTube channel. You can go check out the YouTube channel for the Plus One. You should probably put a link to that in the link tree. Say it's a good idea. Thank you. Uh, but yeah, you could you could see uh, you could see it getting played there. Um, uh, and also, you know, some of the tiers that we do for the Kickstarter. Uh, you can get me to run the game for you. Like I, as part of the Kickstarter, you can get all the physical goodies and I will get on zoom with you and I'll run the game for you uh, with a group of other people. Or if you pay for a slightly higher tier, uh, I'll run a private party for you and a few of your friends where, you know, I'll be your private dancer. (laughs) If you get a special gamer in your life, right? There's the present, the next present, next holiday, whatever, buy it now, you know, schedule it for then. Yeah. I mean, you hear that, honey? <laughs> Come on. Let's, let's, um, all right. Uh, this has been awesome. I appreciate you coming, sitting down with me for this. Um, you know, it's it's nice to meet a kindred spirit. You know what I'm saying? Somebody's oh, here producing stuff um, and, and going through those woes, those highs and lows, and, 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 and sussing out how to make it work. Um, thank you so much, John, for being on with us. It's my absolute pleasure to hang out with you. And also, dude, shout out to you, man. You make such good stuff like I appreciate that i pop i pop real hard for the stuff that you make man and uh, <laughs> i gotta have you on one of my shows to talk about uh your stuff too because it's it's really great it's got a a great vibe to it. it's got a great spirit to it um you know like 
there are several of us, I think, who are in the kind of same headspace with the kind of things that we create. Um, and, I, and I'm glad we're all uh, we're all chatting. We're all uh, rocking out together. So dude, thank you so much for having me tonight. It really means the world to me. I appreciate Anytime. it. Anytime. Real quick circle, uh, circle being completed sort of thing. So like, I don't know what it was. Maybe it's probably during the pandemic. I was working on the roof of my barn and I just downloaded anything that had anything to do with RPGs, which is how I kind of came in contact with your show. Thanks, man. And uh, so I'm listening to it. I'm loving it. And uh, you guys had started talking about uh, the Jungle Tomb of the Mummy Bride. Yeah. And it got me all hot for that because, I mean, that's just right in my, my headspace as far as the kind of stuff I like. And so, I, uh, long story short, I uh, had to get rid of some, some frequent flyer miles. So I decided to go to North Texas. And I, I just randomly on their uh, Facebook page put out a thing. Hey, is anybody there going to be selling this Jungle Tomb of the Mummy Bride? And Levi happened to be going to North Texas and he's like no that's mine man I'll bring you a copy and so without you guys I never would have met with him without him I never would have like kind of got to feel like you know I could reach out to you and so small that's world, a small world wonderful small world we live yeah. in. small world with cool people and I love it all right folks we'll get out there hit kickstarter uh check out the uh, the live play there I'm gonna have links in the show notes um this has been a one-shot episode of this old dungeon I'm Lou Alu um I'm going to say goodbye and happy gaming and give my friend John here a chance to say goodbye. Well, everyone, thank you so much for uh, listening to me ramble on for the last hour. Uh, I appreciate you guys, uh, people who listen to Venture RPG podcast, people who've backed three, two, one action. People I haven't met yet, go live your dream, man. Go have some fun. And until we meet again, stay safe out there. And may the dice always roll in your favor. Nice. Uh... You have been listening to This Whole Dungeon, a podcast about reviewing and renovating great adventures and rule sets from throughout the annals of gaming. The views expressed by the hosts are simply that, and shouldn't be taken with any serious amount of gravity. This program is copyright 2023. Happy gaming! Happy gaming!